You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Good morning. Good morning. Feels really early this morning, even though it's not. I think uh, I think it's just because we're getting to the, the dog days of summer. Absolutely. Oh. Hey, uh, we've been um, kind of generally this time of the year, we're a little slower. And, you know, this year it just isn't slowing down as much. It's like, you know, normally you can sneak away to the lake or like Chris, you can go and land a tanning booth for six to eight hours straight. And <laughs> sunglasses. With sunglasses. With sunglasses. <laughs> and it seems to work out. I got to get rid of this background. Um, but anyway, so yeah, but it's, it's been staying pretty busy. Um, I've been busy, you know, and, and now with, uh, everything that's going on in the world, I think that there's, uh, some normalcy kind of feeling. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? I feel, I feel bare if I don't have my sign in the background. Where is that? I'm going to put mine up. Um, <laughs> hold it closer to the camera so you can read it. I, I don't know. You're, but you're, you hit it right on the nose. Typically these are, um, I mean, I'll take Courtney's uh, example, the dog days of summer in real estate as well. And uh, obviously with low inventory and low interest rates, uh, it's still going very well. So got a few calls yesterday, so I'm going to go meet with them. And, uh, but yeah, no, it's gone. It's going good. And uh, I know we got uh, some of that stuff to talk about today too. Awesome. Well, we are super, super excited to be here today. And um, you can drop your questions in the comments, like always, if you have questions that you want to share with us or ask the team. So feel free to grab those and we'll we'll pop those into the show as, as we're able to. Um, today we are, I will share my screen. Today we're talking about pricing your home and what that looks like, especially in a seller's market, um, which is so, so timely this week. Um, what this means if you're in the, on the buyer side, how this impacts you as a buyer, and uh, whether or not your home has the things buyers are looking for, because sometimes that seller's market label can be a little bit misleading. Um, and then we have quite a few questions from last week. So that is, that's our show for today. Nice. So what do you guys that- think about, about pricing right now? Is it, is it easier than normal? Is it tougher than normal? What do you think, want to, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's easy because, you know, if you take the strategy of, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are shocked, you know, that, that pricing isn't plummeting and because of a, a lack of inventory, I mean, it is, it's crazy right now. I mean, it's like the inventory right now, normally um, as a percentage of the whole United States, 2.4% of the houses that exist are usually for sale. At all times, nationwide, that's the average. Right now, we're at 1.2%. So we are literally at an all-time low for inventory nationwide, not just in hot pockets or whatever else. And there's there's always variations within that. And I think Minnesota is very reflective of that as well. Um, and then I'm also seeing an opportunity right now where a lot of people are like, hey, equity's there. Um, you know, some of the projections that are coming out um, for the future, will, which we'll, I'm sure, cover, um, some people are guessing that we're not going to see um, positive growth next year because they think what's going to happen is the lack of inventory is going to start showing the housing numbers crumpling 
because there's just not enough volume. There's sales and they're selling for good prices, but the volume is down. So it'll literally turn the housing market um, and make it look like it's slower. So we do need to get more houses on the market. Do you think that's true across all price points? Yeah, there is. There's a, I mean, there's, there's an inflated, there's some inflated markets just because of pre-builds and uh, to be built stuff from uh, some new construction things, but those aren't, they're not, they show you what you can get, but they're not real. Uh, They're not real on the market and, you know, you do it and close right then. But uh, I'll tell you what, I think pricing now is uh, more delicate than ever, really. And uh, people would think that's kind of crazy to say that, but I think it's super important how you're pricing your home. And I think buyers, on the other hand, and I know that's the next topic, but there, there's a difference. I don't think buyers should really even be thinking about what they priced it at. It's what it's it's worth because a lot of people go into these offers thinking, hey, you know, well, this is what they're asking for it, and I'll, you know, I'll go ten thousand over. Well, that house might be under underpriced or priced very competitively at twenty thousand under what it should be, and you got to look at what it's worth to you, or else you're never going to get these houses. But on the seller side, that you gotta, I think you gotta be real careful and you gotta do it right because if you don't, because if your house gets passed over in the first 30 days in this market, there's the, there might be more problems because people start thinking there's more to it than just that you priced it too high at the beginning. Right. And pricing it too high at the beginning, the price finds itself. In most scenarios, the fi- price will find itself. It just does. I agree. I think that, you know, right now the best strategy is to price your house at or slightly below market value. And then um, people will like recognize that value and, and bid it up. You know what I mean? And so they, um, your house is worth, let's say 500,000 and you list at 475 and people recognize, man, that's a nice house for 475. They'll bid five or 510 to get it. Versus if you list at 510, uh, people are going to lowball you at 490. And I, I've seen that and they, and they wait 30, 60, um, days to do it. And so people shy away from the the lack of, uh, I would say the values. Um, and you're right, Chris, there's a lot of people that don't have that option to, um, or the luxury to, you know, wait. And so they're looking for housing. They've already sold their house. Um, I'm seeing a lot of two-time moves right now too, where people put their house up for sale just to get it gone because they don't want the risk. And then they sit and they wait for the good deal. So there's people sitting there like predators, I say, on the sidelines waiting for something of value to hit the market and then they pounce on it. I think your pricing strategy was interesting and and it's so true. But the other thing that we're trying to do, so that that 500, that 510 to 475 thing, you know, if it's, you think it's over that 500, you know, it might be, I mean, might maybe not 475, but you know, you want to definitely try to get under that 500 mark for sure. Yeah. And even if you go like a, a 489, and what that does is it brings those other those lower people into the game that probably aren't going to get it. But those lower people that aren't going to get it are making the people that can get it push their price up. And so it's yeah. kind of a little it's a little game that the more people you can get involved in the game, yep. the better that that one person that who wants it is going to push that price. Well, and you know, and I, I think, too, Chris, the, uh, the reality is, is that in the news, even some of the guys that are on our team started saying, hey, you know, this radio or this TV station just put out that, you know, there's 33% of the people that have mortgages are, are delinquent or whatever. And, and so we started doing some research on that just because I like facts, right? I don't like, 
um, just throwing, spewing numbers out there. And then the sad thing is people regurgitate and, and spread it again. And, and, you know, the fact of it was I found that 77% of the people that are currently delinquent have at least 20% equity or more in their homes. Think about that. So you're talking about homeowners that have equity. They don't, they're not going to foreclose. When you have 20% equity, if you can't make that payment and you can't get a, you know, a HELOC against the house to cover payments for a couple of months to get a job, they're going to be able to sell that house in today's market, have equity and still be a player in the game. I think that there's, you know, the other crazy part was with 30% equity or greater, that was representative of 59% of those people that are delinquent. So those people have options. They're, they're not, it's, it's this dire, oh, the world's going in a, to hell in a handbasket. Hang on, here we go, kids. It's not happening. And it's it just, it's, and they just keep trying and trying and trying to, to jam this down our throats. And I'll tell you what, guys, it, it is the only thing that I'm nervous of is that if we don't start seeing more volume of houses, the volume of numbers that are being sold will slow down. And then that's where we contribute to the GDP. I think nationally, we're like 24, between 19 and 24% of the GDP, that that's how they determine if we're in a recession or not, is determined by housing. And, and so if housing goes down in half, which, which on paper it, it, it could, um, just because of the volume, then it reflects negatively upon the economy. Right now, we're looking at a, a pandemic economy. I don't look at this as being a, a recession. It's a, it's a pandemic recession. It's not an economic recession yet, but it, but it can be, of course, you know. Do you think, um, how, does, how does new home construction play into that? Go ahead, Chris. I mean, obviously, it, it, new home construction to me lags. I mean, obviously, it takes time in which to be able to build it and to be able to get the sales. But, um, I mean, new home construction, I mean, we've got a, there's a lot of, like, people who stopped uh, buying the big pieces of land, you know, and I think we're going to see that slow down maybe come next year at some point because they don't have enough lots in which to build on. But, I mean, Andy, you deal with that in a, in a price point. I mean, I, I deal in a price point of, of higher uh, from a new construction process. Yep. I mean, and not to, not to, but I, <laughs> but I do. And it, so it's a, it's you a different. You have different situations than we do. No, but it is, but it is a different thing that, um, it, but you're kind of more in that, that range that is competing against a lot of other houses right now. Right. And I mean, it's creating that, it's creating that inventory. So you probably have a better um, guess on that than I would. Well, you know, I, so my average build right now is about 650. Um, is what I'm seeing. And so I'm seeing that middle upper um, buyer that is the the business owners. I'm seeing a lot of people that are, you know, concerned with what's happening in the different markets, the volatility. They're looking for something stable. Um, you know, I, the, the average new construction buyer, I think last year, Chris, was 59 years old. And I'm going to be real curious to see when they run that report um, this year as to what the average new construction buyer looks like. Because I'm seeing young families, man. I'm seeing, and maybe it's just the price point I'm in. Maybe it's that it's, you know, two stories that are selling because that's where the, the true value per square foot is. Um, but I'm seeing families buying the four bedroom laundry up with a loft upstairs and having the basements finished with another bedroom for a mom, dad, or a guest, another bathroom. And then I'm seeing, um, I'm going to say 25% of my big houses being built or, or what I consider to be big houses are, are sport court. And, and it's, it's this, this has changed our lives, guys. I mean, the, the economy of the new home buyer 
is different. And the home builders that are sitting back saying, well, it's going to go back to normal. They're crazy. We're designing new plans right now to have dual offices. We're having designs where we're adding homework stations and houses. We're adding areas where you have the overflow guests, you know, for mom and dad and multi-generational housing, we're redesigning and everybody wants to do something active. So if you can't go outside because of weather or pandemics or whatever, they, they want to have an interior option. And that's where we're seeing the demand on these interior gyms. You know, we call them sport courts, which is not proper, but it's an in, interior gym, a 20 by 20 or a 20 by 32 foot um, gym in the home for 40,000. Um, people are putting them on all the time and they love them. Yeah, that's, those are for 40 grand. That's a, I don't know. I think that's a pretty good uh, investment. Because like I said, you know, it can turn into a multitude of different things. I mean, in the reality, when you use those, I mean, it, there might be a two or three year span for most families on that. But um, to be able to retrofit that or make it into something else, I mean, even if it's just storage, I mean, you get that much storage, it's fantastic. Yeah, you have your own warehouse at some point, you know? Yeah. Pallet oh. racking, you could have a little, uh, what do they call those, forklifts you could drive around, Chris, in your basement? Yes. Totally. I got one of those. Yeah. Well, you know, look at, look at the reality guys in today's marketplace, you, you go out there and you say, Hey, I'm going to, I want to spend more time with my family. I'm going to go buy a pontoon. Well, good luck finding a pontoon that can pull the kids tubing and everything for under 75,000. I mean, 80,000 for a pontoon. I mean, I've seen some guys spend 200 on pontoons with twin motors and, and I go, that's a boat, you know, and you look at that and you say, or I could have additional square footage in my home that I can use and repurpose for multiple different facets, like Chris just said. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm such a huge advocate of that, that space right now. If, if you can, if you can fit it in, in the budget, um, I highly recommend it. So. The National Association of Realtors did a survey on what home features are more important now because of COVID, which is what's up on the screen. Okay. And it's a lot of the things that you're talking about, which is the home office, um, having you know, more family in the house, larger house for more space, uh, a bigger yard for growing, for having a garden, which I thought that was super an interesting point that um, I didn't think about. Um, internet access, which I think living close to the city, we sometimes take that for granted. But if you're looking to move further outside of the city, that's probably a bigger concern. Uh, bigger kitchen, acreage, and a swimming pool. Is that is that pretty in line with what you guys are seeing in terms of like existing properties? What what features buyers are looking for? Uh, I th I think this whole this whole graph is sitting at home too long. It, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, seriously, like what what am I going to do? I can't do nothing, and uh, kids are bugging me, and I got to get my own office. And I I see this uh, larger house for more personal space is a uh, I think a, a big thing that. <laughs> People yeah, you'd, you'd, get, really you'd guess this would be an introvert's chart. You know what I mean? The, yeah. Yeah, at home and lock yourself up. and uh, But, you know, the, I think, Chris, I, I think he's right on the money. I mean, the bigger kitchen, I think a lot of us have realized now that we've been forced to do home-cooked meals, um, we're not going out as much. Um, you're, you're right. I mean, it's this is kind of obvious stuff. But I think long-term, if you go back to kind of a normal economy, um, a couple of years ago, I had people joking with me that they didn't need a kitchen. They needed an air fryer and a microwave or, you know, you know, I'm not joking with you because you know, all we do is work. And then when we come home, we want to go out to eat and we want a wine cellar at the house to have a glass of wine on the deck at the end of the day. And so this, all this interior and home officing, this is all brand new. I mean, kind of. 
We're looking for that. We 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 are going to ultimately need a bigger house, and that's one of the things on our radar is the the double office on the main floor. That that would be so, like that would be life changing for me <laughs> with yeah. three kids at home and a husband and I who both work from home. So it's interesting to see how the trends and the floor plans are changing a little bit as people are spending more time from home, and this is looking like it's more of a long term long term work experience. Well, right. I think when companies, if if productivity is good, I mean, why wouldn't you have people work at home? I mean, because of the cost of, you know, the brick and mortar kind of stuff. And the other thing is, is that I, I've been hearing from people that like are in the suburbs that are going into the city. I mean, they're, they're saving 14, 15 hours a week. I mean, they, some of them are loving it. I mean, some people can't stand working at home, but other ones are like, my gosh, I mean, I'm productive. I get all my stuff done. We don't have to worry about nothing. And I get more time. I'm not sitting on a bus to and from Minneapolis. That's yeah. fair. I actually just talked to a client yesterday who, a uh, commercial construction company, they moved their office to home and they're just out on job sites. And he's like, we're saving 45 minutes each direction commuting into the city. And it's it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. If, if you ever break down your hourly worth, you know, you take your job, and you look at what you invest and you look at what you do for clothing, what it costs you to have that fancy car, you fill it up with gas, all the true expenses that are related to going to go to work. And then you put that on paper and it, it'll it'll literally make you cry when you look at how much you spend just to have, you know, some uh, income. But it I'll tell you what, if you can work, like you said, a lot of people, things are changing. We're just, we're adapting as we go. I think most people would choose to go back to a normal people like to commute it's quiet time right with little ones you know that right and uh it sometimes people enjoy that half hour i think when you get to the point where you're commuting an hour i think you're literally should be analyzed by a psychiatrist but the the uh you're crazy to drive that far every day each way and you look at that again hourly and you're like oh my gosh to commute cost me you know thousand dollars per week or whatever yeah i think when you're talking about that whole commute and that that time, that meditation time and being on yourself. I mean, that's that personal space that I was talking, that we were talking about out there that people, you know, you still need that, but what if it's, uh, you know, a bigger yard and you spend it mowing the lawn instead and being mm-hmm. a little more productive. So yep. we can spin it a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, you can see the positive or the negative no matter what. So what do you think if you're looking at if if your plan for 2020 was to put your house on the market this year and you've held off because of COVID, what are three reasons why you should consider making a move right now? <laughs> did I just throw I didn't, you guys? I didn't know Chris was going to talk or not. I, I love the, the I think that the you got to remember no matter what you're doing, if it's an investment property, if you're looking for something for long-term play for your retirement, uh, investment properties right now, interest rates are so low that it actually makes rent in the gap that between what you pay and what you can charge very attractive. Um, being that the obviously if the rental market stays where it's at, um, if the rental market softens, you got to make sure to protect yourself. So make sure you're putting enough down on those properties where the payment is ridiculously affordable. So that if you do have to bear that for a month or two until you find a new tenant or that tenant needs um, a break or a reprieve on their their payments, you can you can accommodate. Um, I, I, what do you think? What else, Chris? 
Uh, was that was that one of the reasons? That was sorry. <laughs> that was kind of a different direction. Well, low, low interest rates is what I'm saying. That's why I think it's a great time to make a move. That's one of my reasons. Okay, so so if you're the question is if you're looking if you're looking to sell and you haven't done it because of COVID, why should you do it? Mm-hmm. Um, because the inventory is an all time low, and you're definitely going to maximize what your value is. Now, depending on what your um, next step is in life, you know, um, that might deter somebody, you know, if you're going into a market that there is no inventory and you can't find it, but maybe you are looking for something that needs a little work and that still happens today and that you're getting good values on it. You know, maybe it's that you're going into, you know, a a rental for a little while before you decide what to do. Maybe you're going to build that perfect home because I think people have really started looking at, you know, hey, if I put on a deck and it's twenty thousand, I better make twenty thousand out of it. Now it's hey, I'm going to put on a deck, it's twenty thousand, but boy, we're going to enjoy that. And so those things are those things are important. And I mean, and it comes to it with what rates are now. I mean, a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, at at three percent, you know, it's just not that expensive. I mean, to be able to do that stuff and do what you have and want and like. If you're not going to work, and like Andy said, you're not buying all the pretty clothes and you're not buying the coffee as you're going to work and doing all that, I mean, three, four hundred dollars a month is gonna uh, you're gonna save that ten times over. Oh, you yeah. buy suntan lotion with that, Chris. <laughs> you have to be <laughs> able to enjoy your house. I know, I'm in the sun. It is true. You, uh, you at least you protect your eyes. That's yes, good. I'm protected, yeah. So the last time we had this situation, you wouldn't come on air. You you blanked out the screen. <laughs> yeah. There gone. you go. There I am, folks. We uh, <laughs> you know, I think there. You know, there. One other thing to to consider, guys. Um, and and this is all joking set aside. If you don't want to move and you want to stay put, and you call a remodeler, and this is no joke. I have a neighbor that yesterday. I was out in the driveway talking with, and they had someone come over to install a new front door. They have a pretty massive front door, big side lights, the whole thing. And they were going to rebuild a pillar in front of their porch. The quote was $15,000. $15,000. That's a lot now, of money. I, I can buy you almost a third of a sport court for that same front door. So being the case, remodeling prices are ridiculous. I mean, no offense to those people, but I mean, it, they're getting brain surgeon money right now for doing simple tasks. And so remodeling prices, if you look at the charts are through the roof, um, to remodel a house or to do an addition, the cost to do that addition, it really makes more sense to sell that house, take advantage of all the equity you've already made, um, and then move that equity into a new purchase. Like build a new house that is, is perfect for you. Because when you look at remodeling, if you stick 200 grand into an existing house, and now you're stuck there for 25 years until the rest of the neighborhood catches up with you, um, you or, or you have to make sure that you're really making a sound investment. If you're on the lake or you're on the perfect view of downtown, I, I get it, then, then it's worth it. But for the average person in an average neighborhood, average lot, it's it's a case of where, you know, you really want to take a look at, you know, should we polish this one up, sell it, and then, you know, take advantage of low interest rates to build our, our bucket list dream house. So if you are that person that's thinking about building that bucket list. 
I, I waited until he was done talking to bring it out. <laughs> this is my favorite oh my background God. you have, Chris. <laughs> Um, so if you are in that boat where you're considering selling now and building your dream house, or if you're just in, in the market to sell and, and move into a, a larger house or, or whatnot, what should you expect in the selling process? What does the, what's kind of, what should you expect in terms of how long your house fast. is on the market? If you're working with the right real estate agent, fast, fast and furious is what you should expect. And, uh, when that happens, if you, you go on the market you got to be prepared and, and and do it right. And, you know, we tell people just get, get out of there, you know, because it is constant. We put another one on last week and in the first days and it was in a 600 price range, you know, there's 10 showing set up for the first day. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. You usually don't get that. I mean, in the lower price ranges, you know, you might get 20 set up on the first day. You know, I finally figured out that whole coming soon thing. And, uh, it's kind of interesting because you get, you kind of get the times set up ahead of time and you're preparing the sellers uh, for when they come on versus that kind of that huge rush. And uh, it helps buyers plan a little better too uh, when they can get there. Because the other thing we have is we can't do overlapping showings. So, but I would say fast and furious is what uh, I would be uh, waiting for. What about bidding wars? Is that, is that just, the norm now for houses below a certain price point? Depends. I mean, it depends. Uh, but for the most part that there is multiple offers. I mean, if you can imagine, I mean, if, you know, Andy's stats are right. I mean, half, there's half the properties that are on the market that normally are. So um, I would, I mean, most of ours, um, gosh, I don't know the last time I haven't had, um, except for listings that have been out there a little while that we haven't had multiple offers on it. Yeah. Oh, you, Andy. Yeah. I think that, you know, our job, our, our role as a real estate agent has changed a lot. We're spending more time advising clients on the front end as to how to prepare their home to sell it, to get top dollar. Um, you know, and then when we're out there doing the marketing there, it, it matters. It really does. But it, it also, the marketing right now where we're feeling the pressure is when the multiple offers come in and, and sifting through this is where experience pays for itself, guys. And, and having the ability to go through and look at the approval letters. What does the approval letter actually say? What does the, you know, did you call the loan officer? What did the loan officer say? Is the, is the purchase agreement real or is it fake? You know, a lot of times there's all kinds of offer techniques that are out there where people will write an offer on a property, they overbid it knowing that it's not going to appraise or they overbid it knowing that they're going to do a home inspection. And then they try to hit you with the double whammy on the other side where they, they lower the price. And, you know, like we, we've sold a couple of properties recently where we've had that happen, where I just tell the sellers, I go, hey, they overbid it. Just be prepared. Don't don't count your money yet. Um, the, the inspection's coming. The appraisal's coming. They're 10 grand over list price. Just, just be patient and let's see what happens. And nine times out of 10, they're coming back and these agents are like, well, boy, we didn't know anything about the, the blah, blah, blah. And, and then they drop the price 5,000 to make the deal happen. And what's what I'm finding, though, is that a lot of agents that have experience are now saying, you know what, we're putting it back up for bid. We do not accept your removal of contingency. And we're going to go back to the other nine offers that were in play and do bidding war. So thanks anyway. So that strategy of way overpricing, be careful agents that are out there because the I've seen it happen. A couple of our team members have done that where they've said, nah, we're just going to put it back out for bid. 
So before I ask you a question about that, I wanted to mention that Carlos left us a comment about your your front door story and said the front door better be made of solid gold and delivered by the queen herself for $15,000. Hey, go go have a bid on a regular front door, a regular front door. This guy next door is pretty fancy, but um, <laughs> yeah, love him, but he's, he's a little fancy. Um, they, they had a, a hand carved wood uh, door that actually was made of redwood. And so, it, I mean, it was a nice, it's a, I think the door alone was like eight grand, but um, just for the material, but the, by the time they're done, it blows my mind, the amount of labor to remove the door, to dispose of the door, to redo some of the woodwork to re, you know, but, but I'll tell you what, um, even a regular door nowadays is 2,500 to 5,000. Yeah. It's expensive. Oh yeah. Try to do a patio door for under four grand. Doesn't happen. So, um, so talking about what you said about experience matters, how, how does it differ to work with, I think it's a little bit obvious, but like, how does it, but I think when you get into the process of buying or selling a home that maybe, maybe it's easier to get wrapped up in relationships that you have or so-and-so's brother is a realtor and, and he can help you. Um, how does it differ when you're looking for someone that's going to actually be able to leverage their experience, what should you be looking for in a real estate agent that's going to get you top dollar for your home, give you good advice on a pricing strategy, give you good advice on um, submitting offers in the bidding process? How does that differ between, you know, so-and-so's brother versus doing your research and finding an agent that maybe is, maybe that person is really well-equipped to meet your needs, but, but what should you be looking for in that agent? Yeah. I think you hit it right on the nose when you, t- you talked about experience and with experience comes doing it multiple times and over and over and over again and knowing the situations and, and stopping problems before they even happen. You know, I think sometimes um, people almost want you to have like, gosh, that was too easy. Well, no, it takes, I mean, I always explain kind of the listing process as, hey, here's the listing process. And this is where your house fits into it because it took a lot of time, all this time to be able to kind of know what the heck you're doing. And then it's about how to protect you after the fact as well. And so I think those things are, and that's where the the money comes in. And I mean, we talk about it all the time because you're always going about, you know, defending, you know, what you should make. But I always tell people, you know, one to 3% goes like that in an offer situation, it could be gone. But when you're negotiating, you're, you know, you want, you want an agent just be how low they're going to go, but are they going to be able to save you that money? You know, and, and that's what you have to believe in. I, I think, and I think it's just by it, you know, um, even setting up the house at the beginning, it's so important. I mean, it's even, you know, how you price the house, you know, that's why I said it's so important because if you make a mistake on that, you make a mistake on that and you lose out at the beginning of this amazing market, you know, you're going to cost them thousands of dollars. You really are. So, well, and, and I, I'll, okay, I'm going to get on my soapbox and I apologize in advance. We need to do a better job as an industry of making these clowns that are on the radio and doing these ads that they need okay. to disclose what amount of services they're providing. Because not all real estate agents are the same, just like not all doctors are the same, not all lawyers are the same. You know, two lawyers could go into the same case. This gal is going to win. This gal is going to lose. And it's because of the way they approach things. Are they prepared? Do they have experience? Do they have whatever? Same things with real estate guys. And I'm telling you, when you hear these guys saying, hey, I called this internet company and they saved me thousands of dollars. 
you're assuming that they got the same price that the other agent would have got if they put the time and the homework and effort into, they didn't walk them through the process. So basically you sign a form, you let somebody come take pictures, they throw it on the internet, you're getting overcharged in my opinion. So some of these guys saying, oh, I'll do it for $5,000 or, or we'll list your house for 3%. Good luck to you. Because like Chris just said, that one or 2% off the top of the house might've cost you $15,000, which is way more than that because they don't give a crap. Real estate agents that care and that are passionate about their industry, they know their marketplace, they know the local markets, they know what's going to happen, they anticipate what's going to happen, they prepare you for the offers that you're going to receive. You know, they're, they're telling you, hey, be prepared to ask for closing costs, be prepared to ask for this. And what's happening is those agents are basically coming into you and walking you through the process so that you with confidence can say, I want 450 for my house because here's the actual market we did. And, and all the comparables that are out there, and we know it's worth 450 not a penny less. And then when you go to marketplace versus the, hey, I'll give you an offer. <laughs> and they come out there and they give you the offer for whatever the internet tells you. And it's just, it's such a joke. I, I, so to be honest with you, getting kind of off my soapbox here, the consumer should be disclosed. Um, yeah, you, you, you're in outer space, pal. Um, the consumer should... We as agents have to disclose buyer fiduciary responsibilities to these people, what services we're actually providing to them and for what fee. Because right now I think everybody buries everything under marketing and that's not what this is about. It's more than that. Is there prep work? Is there you know front end work? Is there whatever? How much negotiating? Are we expecting multiple offers where the agent's going to have to spend 30 hours going through offers for you? I mean, you, you don't know. I mean, so the, the idea there is that I think there needs to be more to this than just price. If you're just shopping price and you're not asking what you're getting for the price, I think you're crazy as a consumer. Do you, what is your take on the Ooh. online? I, I liked that rant, Andy. I thought it was very spot on today. Thank you. Um, what do you guys think about taking online platforms that give you a price for your house like Zillow? Should you take those with a grain of salt? How can you verify that that's actually accurate for your house? I don't, I, I don't, when you're selling, you can't take it as a grain of salt because that's what the consumers are seeing and that's what some of them are believing. So you have to justify that or, I mean, if you're under that, that's great. I mean, with the prices, but if you're, if your estimate says that it's 200,000 and you want to list it at 270, you know, there's ways in which we can kind of ramp that up. But I mean, it's, they, Zillow doesn't go inside your house and show everything that you have, you know? And so um, I know Andy said last week, they're, they're trying to get something that actually does that uh, to be able to kind of figure out um, all the intricacies of the house. But to me, you know, getting in there and seeing the house, it's just like doing a market analysis, you know, agents that sit on their computers and just look at houses from afar don't understand. I mean, you drive into a neighborhood. I don't, I don't know. This might be, this might be a kind of a, a, you'll be amazed to hear this, but sometimes the pictures you see aren't really what it looks like. It's crazy. Or they don't depict the, you know, the neighbor that has 10 cars, you know, laying around their backyard. So you've got to get out and look at this stuff, see yeah. how the houses flow and, and things like that. So I think too many times, um, and I think in this computer generation, um, it's too easy to sit around and do all that because you do get a ton of information. But nothing replaces going out and seeing it. I just got a, uh, was laughing. And I was kind of like, that wasn't very nice. But this guy sent me an email and he goes, hey, Chris, we've been uh, 
we've been ser- searching online um, for a realtor and we're thinking about selling our house. And we came upon your stuff and, you know, they saw, you know, what your track record. And they said, we really would appreciate an agent with decades of service. I'm like, what? (laughs) Oh my God. I'm not like a hundred, you know, I just, the whole time I'm at their house, I keep, I kept bringing that up. And I'm like, that's, I said, well, maybe because my mom and dad were both in real estate when I grew up. So that's what you meant by decades. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Dinosaur. I know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, so I look at, I look at the Zillows and all the Zestimates of the world as just like WebMD. Diagnose yourself at home. You look at WebMD and, and ask your doctor what your doctor thinks of WebMD. I, I think the same real estate agents look the same at WebMD uh, as real estate agents look at Zillow. I think I said that right. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's a tool to kind of have fun with, but it's not the real deal. And everyone wants it to be the real deal because they do. I, I, the consumer, this is where I think the real estate associations missed the boat. The real estate association should have a website that does have a non-biased professional evaluation that you can be part of. Because yes, we have an increased view. We have a better this. And it could be a go-to source for people. But instead, they let the public, um, the marketplace create that, which is Zillow. By the way, Zillow will buy your house for a low price. They will take advantage of you if you let them. I mean, they will. They, they, I mean, think about this for a second. They're on the market to make money. So they, how can, why would you trust anybody that it's in a position of negotiating with you when it comes to your equity? I always say, if you hire somebody that protects your equity, they protect you against everybody. They can protect you against a guaranteed offer. They can protect you against a, hey, here's a cash person that wants to buy a house for a low dollar amount. There's, you know, the traditional marketplace. You can, uh, they can help you through distress sales. They're, they're helping you as an individual, not, the house or the industry. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So when you hire a real estate agent, the real estate agent comes to work for you. And now you have somebody in your corner that protects you and your best interests, no matter how you sell your house. Again, Eric, um, apologize. the coffee is nice and hot this morning. And I've been trying. <laughs> well, Eric Malmberg just commented that he totally agrees with you. The realtor association missed a big opportunity. And um, it's almost, it's almost like Kelly blue book for houses is what's needed. Yeah. For serious. So Mike Stensrud wants to know, why do some agents seem to win in the bidding wars more than others? What skills make them successful for their clients? Uh, I think you got to understand the the client. And in in this case, you probably don't even know the client, but you can, you can tell a lot about a client from, so if I'm representing a buyer, the client I'm talking about is the seller, understanding what they want. I mean, and ways to do that are to, you can notice things in the house and, you know, if they're particular, they're not particular, um, but talk to the other agent. And that's what people don't do. They don't talk to the other agent and find out really what that, that seller is looking for. And once you do that, and then they see your offer versus seven other ones that, that, that they kind of mark all the boxes. Yeah. The price ain't quite there, but my gosh, look at all these other things. Do you think maybe they would go to that price? You know, and then they do that. I mean, I look at that. It's 100%. I look at that. For sure. I think I agree with Chris, you know, um, on that, because the other thing is, is that when you look at um, why do they win the offers? It's because they're spending the time for you to call and investigate, right? Really peel back the onion and see what is the motivation for the seller? What is their key hot buttons that help them sell? And some agents, they, they're, they're um, like a statue and they won't tell you nothing. But on the other hand, most agents will say, boy, you know, they'd really like to see this because they just got a job transfer or 
they're moving to their new house or they built a new house or whatever the scenario is. And this is what they're really looking for. And I'm telling you, it's not always price. It, it sometimes is the closing date. You know, did you, did you want to buy all their furniture or not? I mean, there's stupid, silly little things that affect each seller and each buyer differently. And effectively, you have to do your research. And if you do your research and they let you absorb and they can tell you, hey, here's a strategy. Let's write an offer that is best based on the scenario of what we just, you know, learn. Let's go. And, um, you know, I think a lot of offers, though, I'll see nowadays where people are saying uh, no home inspection, uh, over asking price. Um, they'll pay the difference between appraised value and actual offer price. Those are hard to beat. And then they'll leave the closing date open saying you can pick when we close. That's hard to beat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, you know, and by not talking to the other agent, I mean, is, is, uh, let's just say this. So if you're tip, if you're going in and you have a buyer and you're going into a multiple offer situation, but your buyer needs to sell their house prior to uh, purchasing the other one, you're pretty much like, forget it. That's never going to happen. Yep. Um, we had a situation where we uh, talked to the other agent and we have a house that is definitely going to sell and it is subject to that uh, selling, but they wanted a longer closing date and that that would work for them. And so we were able to be able to beat out other offers by having a contingent offer. And uh, they're like, what, how did that even happen? Cause it, Agents are like, they're crazy, you know, in which to do it, but it, it worked for them in their scenario. And all of our other terms were like perfect, but we had to get rid of a house, but that agent was smart enough to know that house is going to sell like in a millisecond, right? you know, but it, it was, we were able to stretch out the closing to be able to do it. Well, and you know, it's like cash offers, Chris, you know, so you get somebody coming in with cash and they're like, here's cash. We're going to lowball you $40,000. That's not what cash adds value in, in today's market. Cash eliminates the appraisal issue only. That's it. That's all that it does for us. And because with cash buyers right now, I'm actually getting to the point of where I'm almost saying, then put up all the money into an escrow account for us so we can see that it's there, it's pledged, and it's ready to go. Right? I mean, if you're cash, big shot, show us that you're cash. And then, or why would I not wait another 30 days to close with a traditional buyer that'll pay $40,000 more? Because we priced the house right. We spent the time to actually get the house price correctly where we know it'll appraise that that's the difference between the pros and the amateurs and the internet people and the you know the i'll just sign the paper and put you on the mls there's a huge difference guys do you, courtney do you yeah, have I, a real nice question like what should you put in your garden for andy so he can settle down yeah, a little so I can, I, yeah talk, let's talk about fountains or ponds yeah. I was going to say final thoughts on on selling your house and pricing your house. What are if you guys were to recommend for most obviously you need to see the house before you could make a true recommendation. But for most sellers, what are three things that they should think about to maximize the value of their house if they're thinking about selling in the next year? Declutter, clean. Declutter. Oh no, improvements. Not not to get it on the market, but improvements improvements to get it like to clean the clutter. Those are improvements. Seriously, in most houses they are. And they're the biggest, I think the biggest things, but maybe some little things, um, hardware, hardware is a good thing. You know, lighting fixtures is a good thing. Paint is always a a great thing. And then um, the old allowance for carpet is don't do that. Put the carpet in if you have to put the carpet in, but base it on and, and backsplash. Backsplash has been a big one. For okay. us, changes kitchens in a hurry. It gives it kind of that 2020 feel, you know, if you if you do it right. And, uh, and it changes, it, it changes houses for not that much money. 
I can't, I can't argue with that. I think that there's other, other things that I would consider. Like, let's say that you have a, uh, like a dining room in your house, for an example, and you know, which is, which is gaining popularity again, but let's say you repurpose that room before you put it on the market as an office, or you put a, uh, you know, uh, what do they call those sleeper couch things? The day beds. Murphy you, bed. Oh yeah. yeah. Or a Murphy or you, you could, you can repurpose rooms right now based on demand because people are moving, looking for more homework space. They're looking for home offices. They're looking for like, like we talked that whole chart we just went through everything from gardening to, you know, whatever, more places to hang out like houses right now that don't have basements and they have one family room and they have more than one person living in that house. I would say they're crazy. They need a loft or they need a whatever. So it's like, you, you in an existing home, you want to strategize because you're going to the same consumer, the consumer that goes to new construction and says, man, that new house is 450 and I can't spend 450. I can spend 350. And they go out and they start looking at your house. If you put some of the, the look and the feel of what the new construction is providing into your existing home, boom, it, it's fantastic. The returns are awesome. And, and people like can re- they, updating the kitchen a little bit, adding a tile backsplash, like Chris was saying, declutter, clean, you know, um, little curb appeal. Come on, mow the grass. Throw, throw a little, oh. how about throw a little shiplap in there? That's yeah. always a killer. Oh, no, the shiplap's on the outward trend. No more shiplap. Uh, it, it, but it matches the new construction stuff. And it's it a does match the new construction. To be able to do it. it is popular in new construction. Yeah. Yep. Um, what do you guys think about timeline? When, if you're considering selling, when should you sit down with a real estate agent to talk about, um, to talk about your timeline? And should you consult a real estate agent before you start making improvements on your house? I think the answer to both those, yeah, as soon as possible. And yes, you should, because there's sometimes, and I've talked about this before, where um, we've had a seller that said, hey, I'm going to replace the windows and the siding. And the windows and the siding were fine. It was the interior that needed the work. And we put in 40000 versus 140000 and made them just as much money. So I think uh, you want to definitely talk to a realtor because they understand what sells and what doesn't. And there's, there's maintenance and there's improvements as well. So it's like a septic system. Everyone's assuming that they're going to have a toilet that works, you know? So if you have right. a bad septic system, you got to replace that's maintenance. Now, is it going to give you a little value? A little, but it's not going to give you $30,000 of value on that. So there's, I talk to a realtor ahead of time and as soon as possible. And whether it's next year, the year after, the year after, there's nothing wrong with doing it right now i mean the only thing you probably can't do is what the what the in colors are in right now so yeah and i I agree with chris i think that there's you know timing is um you know what's interesting is we live in our own little worlds right and so like right now might not be the perfect timing to sell and you're thinking well my kids are in their senior year of high school i'll sell next year or whatever and so when you ask a real estate agent we really know what's happening right now we know the market is good if you list it it's going to sell now you're probably going to have a great opportunity to pull equity out of your house better than what you would ever anticipate. But on the other hand, we're, we're in an election year, kids. And I'll tell you what, I'm still looking at this fall as being kind of an interesting fall. Um, regardless of what side of the fence you're on with these politics, it doesn't matter. The, people start staring. And when the crowd starts staring, they don't pay attention. And so I think what will happen is you'll see a lot of eyeballs get off of housing and probably get onto the, onto the, the election. And, and depending on how it happens, usually Chris, what do you, a month, two months after an election, no matter what happens, the economy kind of just still does the, oh my gosh, is it going to be okay? And then they go back to normal. So, you know, and I, I don't know. I just, so 
I would get my house on the market now instead of waiting until the fall because I just don't know what the fall is going to. Maybe I'm wrong and the fall is great and everything's fine. I hope so. Um, but I just, you know, if I was putting my house on the market this year, it'd be right now. And I think too, Andy, I mean, in the old days, you know, from my decades of, of experience, um, that, <laughs> but the old days you could kind of predict. Is out of this world. Yeah. But the old days you could kind of predict, Hey, next spring, you know, we're going to go up 1% and we're going to be that. And nowadays you don't know nothing. I mean, it, you don't know what's going to happen and what we know is in, is in front of us. And, and that's what I tell people. I said, when we go to list a house, I said, well, what would you list it for? Well, tell me, number one, when you're going to put it on, what else it's going to compete against at that time, and then what improvements are you going to make? But until that time, we don't know. I mean, it's three to three fifty somewhere in there. But ultimately, they make that decision. You got to give the information to make that decision. But we can't predict what the future is going to hold and what it is. And if it holds like this, yeah, it's probably going to go up. Uh, it just sold a lake house um, the other day. It closed on it. And, uh, you know, by the time they, it was purchased and bought, it probably went up $25,000, you know, and it's kind of like, yeah, it was, but I'll tell you two months before that, it went up another 25,000. So, um, it is what it is. You don't know. Well, it's like trying to time a stock. I mean, you, you can't, it's one of those things where, you know, right now the, the price is high. Um, could it go higher? Sure. Could it level off? Sure. You know, it's, it's a matter of, uh, Prehistoric times for Courtney there. Uh, the uh, oh, wow, yeah, that's interesting. That is really, really nice. <laughs> I mean, what's happening right now to us? I kind of got like a little silhouette. Like, I feel like Chris needs this background, not me. But dinosaurs. Oh yeah, the the decades. Yes. <laughs> Chris started real estate. Oh, funny, funny. Ah, uh, that was good though. I like well, that. You only got it didn't quite years. hit right, I don't think, because <laughs> you guys didn't get it right away. <laughs> um, no, but you know what? It, it does come down to where, you know, just spend your time, do your research, just like anything in life, right? And, and and when you try to, good luck trying to time the stock market, good luck trying to time housing, even though housing moves a lot slower than the market does usually. But, um, you know, houses this year, let's say next year, they catastrophically go down 3%. Well, you didn't know what your house was really worth this year anyway. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, unless you're dealing with an actual real estate agent, like Chris said, today, right now, I'd list your house at six thirty nine, and and next year, it well, let's list it at five ninety nine or five, you know, six ten. You're not going to know that, you know what I'm saying? I think what's interesting too is I, I've heard this: is people are like, well, I think the market's going to go down, and, and and so whatever we buy, and I said, well, you know, you're going to sell here and you're going to buy here, so what's the difference next year if you sell here and buy here? There's no real difference in that in that game, and so it's like, um, you know, hopefully you can kind of get past that. But ultimately, people have to feel confident in what they want to do and do what's right for them. And uh, well, the, the but you know, Chris, there. what you're saying is is important. But you know, the thing is, is that um, people are looking at prices being the only way to get a lower payment, right? Or if assuming that they're paying a payment, and right now interest rates give you more. You either can spend more, which most people are doing or for the same amount of money, or you can literally say, hey, I'm going to buy the house that I, I was going to buy anyway, and my payment's so much lower, and now I can afford a cabin, or now I can afford to go buy that boat I wanted, or whatever, you know, and so it's like, there's what I here's what I like right now. People have options. God bless America, man. We've got options. You've got low payments. You've got the option to buy. You've got the option to sell. 
it's a few years ago, what I used to really struggle with is when people did not have options. And usually in a struggling economy, people don't have choices. They have to sell their house because they can't afford it. Or they, they have to do something because they lost their job or, you know, and, and so that's what I like about what's happening right now in the world. I think even though it's crazy and there's all kinds of crazy talk, what a wonderful thing to have options. I agree. Well, guys, we're, we're running close on time. So let's tackle some of these questions from last week, if that's okay with you. Let's do it. All right. So how do you fix a house with smoke damage? Oh boy. Um, finish the oh. job. What's that? Smoke damage. Finish the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that wasn't, I, I had a deal like that one time. The guy's like, gosh, you know, he's just, his house is a, a bad repair and stuff like that. And because I just wish it would burn down. I said, you know, I know a guy. And he goes, you do? And I said, no, I do not know a guy. I don't know a guy. But it was like, whatever. But I think let's talk maybe from a perspective of cigarette smoke. Um, I think we're talking about, right? Yep. I would assume. Yeah. yeah. And so the ozone machines obviously work, but I think the only way you really get rid of that stuff is, uh, I mean, you got to ozone and get it out, but you're going to end up having to paint. You got to remember smoke damage is not just in the walls of the ceilings. It's in everything. It's in the carpet. It's in the furniture. It's in everything. You, you replace carpet, you paint with kills so that it actually has an oil-based sealed like vapor barrier that that smoke smell can't get back through. Um, some people will do the ozone machines before they do all those things. And then they clean out the vents in the house. Um, you know, the, the HVAC system. Um, that's what we used to do. Like when we would find foreclosures and it would virtually take the smell out of the house completely. So I don't know what it was like after a couple of years, but for the, at least for initially it would, it would clean it up and take it away. And we'd spend, you know, probably 8,000 to $10,000 for carpet painting, um, the O3 magic guys would come out all day long to get smoke out of house. So grandma that smokes in the house, that's what it costs about 10 to, I bet it's 10 to 12 now. Yeah. Don't, don't smoke in your house. Don't. That's just kind of the, the thing. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. All right. Question two. I have been seeing some brass in homes. Is that coming back in? You know, we've been, uh, <laughs> I know, but it's a it's a kind of a brush brass that's kind of coming back in, but they're, they're doing it kind of with stainless steel, and it looks it looks good. We have it in a in a model home of ours, and uh, it really looks good. It, but it's not the like the polished brass, you know that. No, there's the mat. It's more matte. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh it's coming back. I think and era. Uh, we we have it available. Um, I was even last year. I was seeing a little bit of chrome the shiny old school, like retro chrome coming back um, in bathrooms a lot of times. And then I'm just, you know, kind of, it's all they're doing is adding a metallic accent, a different texture, different, you know, thing to look at. It makes a visual impact on the, the room design. And I think, I think it's effective if that's what you're looking for. I, I'm not afraid of it. I just don't like shiny brass. I, it's I'm not yeah, it's of it. kind of the, it's the same concept as that we're doing with different woods and mixing them with enamels and you get some alder and you get white enamel. And I think it's the same thing with, you know, you get stainless appliances, maybe you have some, you know, matte, matted brass type fixtures. Right. Um, and it does, it, it, it works. It makes intrigue for sure. It's a little more textured Adds some yeah. interest. There you go. All right. Better question work. number three, 
Your house is listed for $340,000. It needs around $5,000 of work done immediately and potentially another five to 10,000 over time. Assuming the offers are final and there are no other differences between them, which one would you take? Uh, $320,000 cash, $326,000 in a loan with a pre-approved buyer, $331,000 loan with a not yet approved buyer. You want um, to go first, Andy? Yeah, I, I would look at the uh, the offer with the pre-approved buyer, um, but I'd want to see what kind of financing they have. Are they conventional, FHA? And then I'd also need to know a little more detail on what the work would be done um, on the house. If it's chipping paint and you have an FHA approved buyer, that might be a challenge, for an example. That's an easy one. Um, if it's conventional financing and it's just like a couple windows have broken seals, or something like that. That's an, that that'd be a no-brainer. I'd probably go with the pre-approved buyer um, with a loan um, in the middle, maybe B. I think I think too. I mean, same concept as Andy was saying. You need a little more information, but I, I don't think I would discount C quite yet, um, just for the plain fact that uh, you, you want to know. I mean, if they just didn't, if you if you know they're approved and you can get their credit pulled quick and you know they have a job more than likely it's going to happen. I mean, you could, you could stall. I mean, with pre-approvals, right. I mean, you're, I mean, in two hours, you could have an answer on that. Well, yeah, you could, likely. you're right, Chris. I mean, I guess it just says on there that they're not yet approved. So I'd assume they haven't even started the process. They haven't turned right. in pay stubs or anything. So that'll take a couple of days. Right. For sure. But a lot of the letters we get are that they, right when they saw the house, Oh, we better talk to a lender. And then an hour later we have a letter. That says they're done. So, I mean, it can go pretty darn quick. Well, change that scenario up where all the, let's say they all offered the same price and you have one from the, uh, the Quicken loans or rocket mortgage. You have one from like a local bank like Bell and another non-heard of broker or something like that. And you, you look at that and the agents, I'll tell you, we look at experience. We look at, Hey, online mortgage companies are a nightmare. So when I get it, you've heard the commercial on the radio and you called in and you got an approval letter with them. I'd rather deal with the local loan officer that I know from an established company that I can literally call on and that they know they're going to walk the file through for you. So then the loan officer even puts more value on that. So Chris and I both know when we see loan officers' names, I mean, we've done, you know, probably thousand plus deals each over our careers. And the, the idea there is that as those um, agents come in, loan officers, just like real estate agents, all perform differently. And, you know, just like the, the real estate agent that emails you an offer, never calls you, never notifies you. I let those emails sit there until somebody calls me, you know, a lot of times, because I'm like, how irresponsible. Same thing with the loan officers. I've got a couple of loan officers right now that I work with. That I'd like to actually bring on the show if you guys would ever allow me to. Um, and yes, uh, they, we need to, we need to chat about our, our upcoming guest list because we need to build that out for August. Yeah. I've got a couple of people that have approached us. I just would like to get some more too, but you know, like having that 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 person attached to the file or having the loan officer call the listing agent and say, hey, my client just wrote an offer with, you know, Chris Rooney on this house and wanted to let you know the buyer's ready to go. I've underwritten everything. We're, we're solid. Um, I'm all the way this far in the process. And, and it makes that offer a lot easier to present to your client too. So I think that was a very, very robust and thoughtful answer from both of you. Yeah, I think what's interesting is we both went away from the cash deal too. Yeah, um, you know it was really only what five thousand dollars difference, um, and the cash deal 
might have been our answer if we would have known what those 5,000 of improvements are right away. Because mm-hmm. those $5,000 improvements could have wrecked the, not only the appraisal, but uh, the work orders. You'd have to do them anyways, and you'd probably be at the same price. So. so bottom line is it just depends on the situation, and every situation is different. You bet. Last question of the week. You looking for a job, Courtney? You, what? You looking for a job in real estate, kid? <laughs> I have a husband in real estate. I, I prefer to stay on the marketing side, but okay. thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Maybe down the line, Andy. <laughs> Okay. Uh, can a buyer do their own inspection? Buyers shall satisfy themselves as to the qualifications of the inspector is the thing. And they can certainly do it themselves. And they can certainly, uh, I get a lot of questions like, how, what can we get out of? You know, I mean, really, I mean, it's supposed to be for um, not just routine maintenance things. It's supposed to be for something that, you know, is actually wrong to be able to get out of it. But there's a lot of um, other parts that, you know, are part of inspection. I think people don't think about um, not the physical part, but maybe it's the the schools and the neighborhood, and you know the traffic patterns and and things like that that you're checking out. That you know you're able to get out of inspection based on that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think that there's. I've had uh, sellers in the past that are like they call me just frantic, and they're like, you know, it's the home buyer and his dad out there doing the inspection. Is that even legal? And it's like, yeah, it is legal. I mean, we gave them permission to do an inspection. We did not give them permission to do intrusion uh, or intrusive testing. But, you know, the one thing I would say is that if you do have somebody doing their own inspection, as a listing agent, I make sure to let them know that they're not allowed to move our stuff. They're not allowed to open certain things. I mean, you know, or, or ahead of time, we want to know what is their expectations for the inspection. So, like, for example, the, the, the scuttle to get up into the attic, you, you, if there's a bunch of stuff in the way, they can't touch your stuff. They can't get up there versus the do-it-yourselfer inspector will move all your stuff, climb up in there, and they don't realize the liability of moving all that stuff. You know, you never know what now just got wrecked or broken or stained or whatever. Um, but it's the idea there is that you're making the, the buyer comfortable um, with, with their purchase. Um, I've seen a lot of, I'll be honest with you too, I've had some of my own buyers that are, oh, I'm a, I'm a contractor, I'm a remodeler, and they miss stuff because they're, they're going in there thinking everything's easy to fix. And you don't realize, you know, like the the evidence of seepage or rodent, you know, uh, droppings up in the attic or, you know, they don't notice a lot of that stuff that a normal inspector would be all over. I concur. That is our last question of the week. We should have like some games. That's that's 9.03 too. Real estate hour into three minutes. (laughs) We should have the Benny Hill music going right now, right? (laughs) <laughs> well, I have our intro and our outro, but it doesn't work on Zoom for some reason. Okay. Just on the pod, the podcast. Yes, which are all done in our podcast. Uh, we're just waiting for final approval for the podcast version of the Real Estate Radio Ooh. Hour, which will be live at some point in the next, hopefully, three business days on iTunes and Google Podcasts, along with all of the other podcast services out there. So if you want to catch a past show Or if you can't join us live in the future, all of our future episodes will be available on your favorite podcast provider. Um, Be sure to check it out, download, download the podcast, subscribe, and give us a little review if you like the things that you hear. Um, If you have a chance, please go like and follow our Real Estate Radio Hour page on Facebook and now on Instagram. 
Um, and if you have questions for next week's show, definitely give us a shout. You can email me, Courtney, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y at AmplifyUp.com. Awesome. Y'all have a wonderful day. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. All right, everybody. Have a good week. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.